Hi there, welcome to this anaesthetics lecture on cannulation. My name is Mike, I'm a final year medical student at the University of Notre Dame, Australia. And the reason why I'm talking about peripheral intravenous cannulation is because it's a necessary skill for all medical students to acquire prior to their internship. And it is the main skill that interns will perform on a day-to-day -day basis. So it is particularly important to have a good grasp of cannulation, especially during those times as an intern when you'll be unsupervised, relatively unsupported on night shift and having to cannulate a person with difficult veins and this could be an obese patient, an elderly patient or a child. And ironically nursing staff will actually be looking for you when there are patients who are difficult to cannulate. So the reasons we perform cannulation are to infuse intravenous fluids, to give intravenous induction anaesthetic agents such as propofol, to give intravenous medications such as morphine or antibiotics, and also withdraw venous bloods for pathology. And the best place to learn cannulation is on placement in theatre, as almost every patient will require cannula prior to their procedure. So whether you're on your surgical placement, anaesthetic placement, or obstetrics gynecology placement, ask the anaesthetist if you can cannulate the patient, and generally they will be quite useful and let you cannulate the patient and also teach you some skills. So let's first talk about the anatomy to consider when you're cannulating a patient. First, you want to consider cannulating the upper limb before the lower limb. And the best sites for cannulation are the dorsum of the hand, the forearm, and the cubital fossa. We can see the basilic vein running medially, the cephalic laterally, and the median cubital vein in between. So we also have to consider the underlying structures so we don't damage them when we're cannulating a patient. So when we're considering cubital fossa, we have to be mindful of the median nerve and the brachial artery running medially to the biceps tendon. And all these structures can be endangered when you are cannulating a patient. Considering that though, usually not many structures do get endangered because veins are quite superficial and they sit on deep fascia enveloping muscle compartments. The vein itself may be lacerated or transfixed, leading it to blow up, bleed and form a subsequent hematoma. But you just have to be mindful of those deeper structures when you're cannulating an area. Even can just consider the region you're cannulating and consider the structures deep to it. There are some specific sites to avoid, such as veins distal to previous intravenous sites joints or bony promises so we don't damage articular cartilage, sclerosis or thrombose veins, the patient's dominant hand where possible but this might not be possible in the operating theatre because the patient might have a blood pressure cuff on one arm, limbs affected by axillary clearance and the patients who's had a pre previous uh, axillary clearance will be quite active in letting you know that sh they shouldn't receive any needles in that arm. Veins with overlying cellulitis or skin breakdown to prevent um, sepsis. 
and also the most important sinusoidal void is a arteriovenous fistula and these have been created by surgeons for dialysis patients and if we go sticking needles into that fistula we could inadvertently destroy or break down that fistula and we have just destroyed the port patient receives dialysis from and not only will they be unhappy the surgeon will be incredibly unhappy with you so we're also going to consider some physics around cannulation yes unfortunately there are there's a little bit of physics behind it but the main law to consider is Poiseuille's law and, and I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly because I'm not French and I don't speak French but Poiseuille's law is described by this equation and it essentially means that flow which is Q is proportional to the pressure and the radius and flow is inversely proportional to the length of the tube and also the viscosity of the fluid running through that tube. And this law is considered a lot in physiology, uh, particularly in cardiovascular physiology because it describes flow through a blood vessel. So it's really important actually if you can memorize this law it is quite handy and you look good being able to talk about it. The significance of the radius of a tube is that if you double the radius of a tube you effectively increase the flow 16 fold through that tube and this is why we have different size cannulas in respect to their gauge which can deliver different flow rates so a large gauge cannula being a 14 gauge cannula and just to remember that larger the size of the cannula the smaller the number so a 14 gauge cannula has a flow rate of 350 mils per minute in comparison to a 24 gauge cannula which only has 21 mils per minute and we can use different size cannulas to give intravenous fluids at obviously different rates so if we want to give large volumes of fluids very quickly such as in trauma patients or patients who require large volumes of replacement you use a larger size cannula such as a 14 or a 16 gauge cannula 18 gauge cannulas we can use for the delivery of blood products or delivery of irritant medications through large veins such as chemotherapy and we generally use 20 and 22 gauges can um, on a general day-to-day -day use for intravenous um, fluid maintenance antibiotics or analgesic delivery and also in peds but peds we generally use 20 to 24 kg cannula so next let's talk about how to actually cannulate a patient and these are the steps you have to remember and the first step is to collect all the necessary equipment that you need to perform the procedure and this first step can be remembered with any procedure you're doing always collect the necessary equipment before actually going ahead and looking at the patient or even touching the patient so what you need for cannulation is some gloves for personal protection skin preparation such as alcohol swabs or chlorhexidine a tourniquet a bung an appropriate size cannula, a flush which is uh, normal saline in a 5 to 10 mil syringe which you'll have to draw up yourself, tegaderm tape which is just a transparent uh, adhesive tape and a kidney dish to hold all your equipment in.
You can also use a gauze or elastic stopping or an arm board in paediatric patients to protect the intravenous site from kinking um, if you place it over a flexor area and sometimes you see paediatric patients walking around with a big board on their arm and that is the purpose to pr protect the site and also prevent it from kinking. And this is probably the most important point of this process is that the setup is crucial and this is because there's nothing worse than leaving the room during procedure to get additional equipment that you've forgotten because you didn't collect all the necessary equipment. And never assume the cannulation trolley is stocked. And this is really important to ensure confidence in patients, so be prepared. The next step is to obtain consent and explain the procedure and its purpose, unless it is emergency. Wash your hands and then position the patient. The patient in the operating theatre may already be on a gurney, so you, they are adequately positioned. But if they're on the wards, on a chair, ask the patient if they are a bit noodle phobic or are prone to fainting. And this is because you might want to actually move them to the bed prior to commencing cannulation, and you don't want the patient fainting on you and then nurses calling a clove blue because the patient has fainted on the ward. The next step to consider is which arm needs to be cannulated and this might sound silly but it's important to consider particularly in anaesthetics not so much um, not as important to consider in general wards but if you're in the operating theatre find out the type of surgery and find out the side the surgery is being performed on especially if it is plastics or orthopedics procedure because you may inadvertently place a cannula in the same limb being operated. So once we've got all our equipment, we've positioned the patient, we know which arm we're going to put the cannula in, the next thing is to apply the tourniquet and locate a suitable intravenous site. And trouble that most people has is finding an adequate vein to cannulate. And it can be especially difficult with people with dark skin thick subcutaneous tissue such as obese patients and paediatric patients and also dehydrated patients, particularly in the operating theatre after 12, 10 to 12 hours of fasting. So things, simple things that you can do to help you find a vein are tapping, squeezing, alcohol and gravity. And tapping the vein sometimes helps you bring out the vein and also getting, asking the patient to squeeze their fist and making, making a fist might actually help block venous return and engorge some veins. Alcohol is a really useful thing so alcohol wipes are not only used to clean the site but also to dilate the vein because the alcohol is a natural vasodilator. And also gravity, gravity, fluid pools of gravity so if the patient is on a gurney, simply lower the rails of the bed and ask the patient to hang their arm over the, over the bed. And the site we want to go for, what I call the sweet spot, is the inverted wire shape where two vein tributaries meet. And this is because at that junction, the vein is usually fixed to the deep fascia. So when you insert the needle, the vein won't slip out of your path. So next, with 
your dominant hand, hold the cannula bevel up with the flash chamber visible. And usually you want to hold the flash chamber between your thumb and your middle finger using your index finger free to be able to advance the cannula into the vessel. And also holding the flash chamber between these fingers also helps you see flashback. So next, insert the needle at 15 to 30 degree angle and you may need to lessen the angle of attack with very superficial veins. A very important sign is that flashback of blood into the flashback chamber is not a sign to advance the cannula into the vessel. And this is because the, the needle tip might have just pierced the vessel but the plastic tip over the needle has not yet entered the vessel. So as soon as you get flashback, level off and advance the needle a few more millimeters into the vein to ensure the plastic part is actually in the vein. So once you've struck gold, release the tourniquet and apply pressure to the distal end of the cannula prior to removing the stylet to make sure that you don't get blood running out of the cannula and usually it's not a problem but nurses just kind of get on your back a bit about making a mess. Once you've applied adequate pressure, apply the bung and make it sure it's on tight. It's not pretty when propofol actually leaks all over the floor as um, the anaesthetist injecting propofol into the cannula and propofol leaks everywhere, makes a mess and it is particularly a nuisance when um, the anaesthetist wants to do a rapid sequence induction, which just means they're trying to anaesthetize the patient very quickly and obtain an airway very quickly. So if you're not getting a full dose of propofol into the patient's vein, the anaesthetic process is much slower. So cover the cannula with a tegaderm or other occlusive transparent dressings or tape. And once that is all finished, flush the cannula with normal saline to ensure patency. Now, cannulation is really about practice. There are many different types of veins out there. Not one vein is the same, and you might have difficulties with certain patients trying to find a vein or even access the vein. So, real practice does make cannulation process a lot easier. There are also some problems you might find along the way, such as problem with valves, and valves can be seen along the vein as small balloonings and the cannula tip can actually get stuck behind one of the leaflets as you advance the plastic part of the cannula. So there's a few things you can do to overcome that problem. One, if you've already gained IV access and you, the only purpose you're doing cannulation is to gain IV access, don't worry, take the stylet out, apply your bung and seal it up. Flush it to just ensure you have IV access and that should be fine as a port for infusing intravenous fluids or whatever you need that cannula for. If you need the cannula for intravenous induction the anaesthetist can give the medication through that drip and then later on recite the cannula. Another thing you can do to overcome this problem is to re-advance the needle into the plastic cannula and further advance to get past or perforate the valves. But 
this should be done in advanced hands, you probably end up transfixing the vein. I've only seen it successfully done by anaesthetists who do this every day. So if you do get a valve, um, a cannula stuck behind a valve, just um, tie it down and for the sake of intravenous access, keep it there. And don't try and lose the access by perforating the vein. The other handy hint is that it is a one-handed procedure and if you can do cannulation one-handed, it allows your other hand to be doing other things such as if you have a trying to cannulate a pediatric patient usually that is a team effort with nurses and other staff fortunately holding down the patient to gain IV access so if you can actually perform the cannulation one hand it allows you to stabilize the cannulation hand a lot easier and makes your life a lot easier so what are possible complications? There are very few complications that can arise from cannulation, but some are thrombophlebitis, so inflammation of the vein associated with thrombosis, extravasation of fluid into surrounding tissues, hypertonic or irritant fluid infusion can result in phlebitis, and you may require large venous axis, and get a hematoma, nerve tendon or ligament damage from cannulating too deeply, infection or local cellulitis sepsis from cannulae left in situ and vasovagal syncope. So in summary we've talked about indications of cannulation, the relevant anatomy and physiology associated with it, its contraindications, the process and its complications. So thank you for listening and visit podmedics.com for more anaesthetic lectures.